Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence here with us as we have worshiped you, Lord, as we have sought your face, as we have desired, Lord, just to be in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for being with us. For every time we gather in this way, Lord, we feel your presence, we feel your love, we feel your grace, and we covet, O oh Lord, your word. We ask now that as we prepare to hear this word, that you will speak to us, that you will open our hearts, that you will open our minds, that you will speak from your spirit to our spirit, from your abundance into our need. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Our scripture today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, updated. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For, the, for God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to abolish things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. In contrast, God is why you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. How often do things not make sense? Anybody? How often? I mean, you think about it, and there are so many times when it seems like things just don't make sense. Things sound crazy. Things sound unreasonable according to our own logic. We can't understand something, and we really don't like it when that happens, do we? We really don't like it when we don't understand, when we don't comprehend. If you don't believe this, 
try to explain something to a child and have them just turn to you and go, but why? And then you answer that question and they respond, but why? And this goes on into infinity and beyond, right? It just keeps going and going. It's never enough. You see, we, we seek to understand. We want to make sense of things. We want to apply our logic to things and, and for things to be reasonable according to that logic. And a lot of times we will apply human knowledge to that, what we have learned, what we have experienced, what we have studied, what we have Googled. You know, I don't need a doctor anymore because my wife just Googles my symptoms every day and just tells me what I have. That's, that's the level we've gotten into in terms of human knowledge, right? Because we try to apply it to everything in our lives. We try to apply our human knowledge and our human logic to everything around us and everything we face and everything we encounter in life. But many times we find that human logic can't explain everything. That human logic is not enough to comprehend the things that are unknowable. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, he is aware that they too are struggling with this search for understanding and meaning. But he's also aware that the church in Corinth is not composed of just one group, but of a diverse group of people, some of which come from the Jewish side and some of which come from the Gentile side. And they have come together as Christians to form this church, but they come at the search for truth from very different angles. He explains that the Greeks are lovers of wisdom, that they love knowledge and seeking knowledge through study. In fact, in the early church, there was a struggle with those who thought that wisdom came from knowledge and that knowledge of God was what actually got you closer to God. We call that Gnosticism. I mean, they, they love knowledge and they put knowledge at the top of, of their list in terms of reaching an understanding of God. The Greeks loved their philosophers, their great thinkers like Plato and Aristotle and all those that, you know, wrote these great treatises about life and about situations in, in life and about the reality of the world and all of these things. The Jews, on the other hand, came at it from a different angle. They were used to understanding power because they had experienced a God who had done many deeds of power for them throughout their history. Remember, they, they knew the God that parted the Red Sea so they could cross. They knew the God that had made manna rain from heaven. They knew the God that had opened the way for them to come into the promised land. And so they valued strength that was shown through deeds of power, through mighty acts that were unexplainable because it was done by God himself. Well, Paul understood that these were two very different groups looking at the same situation from two very different angles with two different priorities. And Paul basically writes to them to explain that the gospel he came to preach defies both of their understandings of what is true and what is right. 
He basically says, to those who are Greek and are seeking knowledge, the gospel I preach seems like foolishness. And to those who are Jews, who are seeking deeds of power, it's a stumbling block. And he goes on to explain it. He says, basically, for the Greeks, the plan of salvation is a foolish plan. What God would go into the world to die on a cross? What God would go into the world to give his life up in order to save the lives of the, the rest of the people? What God would do this doesn't make sense to us. It's not logical. And the Jews did not understand the message of the cross either. They were expecting a powerful Jesus, a, a Messiah that would come riding on a strong horse to overtake Rome, to overthrow their enemies, to put them underneath his feet, and to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. They were expecting a conqueror, and they got one who came as a servant. They got one who had literally skin in the game and was willing to die for them. To the Jews, this seemed as weakness. What kind of God dies on a cross for us? They didn't want a humble servant. They wanted a conquering king. They didn't want to turn the other cheek. They wanted to smite their enemies. They wanted a Messiah that would come to reestablish the kingdom of David. Their expectation of Jesus was not met. They had a whole different idea of what they wanted. Well, today, people still have struggles when it comes to their expectations of Jesus. How many people want Jesus to just be a fix-it guy? When I got something broken or wrong, I just want Jesus to fix it right now. How many people expect Jesus to be the microwave Jesus? I want it in one minute or less. I want it when I want it in my timeline. How many people want Jesus to make them rich? Because he's got all those blessings to give, you know, and I accepted him, so I should just have everything I ever wanted. How many people want him to fix all of their relationships? And they don't realize that he begins by asking us to have a saving relationship with him. And he tells us that everything else will flow from that. You see, expectations that are not met lead to a lot of frustration. People don't understand the gospel or what it's about. That it's not about being served, but about serving. That it's not about receiving, but about giving. That it's not about us, but about Jesus. And Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth to understand this truth. Paul explains to the Corinthians that the gospel message turns logic upside down. It turns human logic upside down because it is definitely not how we would have done things. The God who loved us so much was willing to follow a plan that does not make sense to us, but made perfect sense to him. How many times have I been asked, why couldn't God just save the world without having to die on a cross for us? Why would Jesus 
have to go and go through all of that of growing up and being human and suffering and being despised and being abused to save us. Why didn't God just snap his fingers and save all of humanity? I mean, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He certainly could have done it that way, right? But then the question would remain, would that be a God who gave us the choice to choose him or a God who chose to save us whether we wanted it or not? Would that be a God that was given us an opportunity to exercise our free will to accept him or reject him? Or would that be a God who basically chose for us? What seems to the world a foolish plan is God's wisdom in play. God decided through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who came to believe that Jesus indeed was his son sent into the world to die for their sins. Those who chose him out of their own free will, those who chose to accept the love and the grace and the forgiveness and even the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Those who chose. This is hard to swallow for the Gentiles who thought this was not the wisest way to save humanity. If they had to do it over, they would definitely think of a better way to save us. And it wouldn't include dying on a cross. How arrogant are we that we think we can tell God how he should do things? But don't we find ourselves sometimes doing that very thing? Trying to tell God how to do godly things when God is so much wiser than us. This was also hard to accept for the Jews who wanted Jesus to be that strong military conquering king and the cross for them is a sign of weakness, of defeat, of death. And they could not see past it to engage in the resurrection, to understand that without a cross there isn't an empty tomb and that without a sacrifice there isn't forgiveness of our sins, that this was necessary in order for God to truly show the fullness of his love for us. After all, doesn't our salvation mean more to us when we realize that God gave himself on that cross for us? When it cost him that much, doesn't it mean more to us when we realize that he left glory to come to be one of us so he could help us to understand him better. There is no place where God's love is more fully on display, where God's wisdom is more fully on display, where God's power is more fully on display than at the cross. That is where we saw our sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. And that's where we began to understand how far God was willing to go to be in relationship with us. Paul basically puts both groups, Jews and Gentiles, in their place. He says, let me tell you something. God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom 
And even in God's weakest day, he is stronger than all human strength. And, and you know, that, that really puts things into perspective because he's saying on God's slowest day, he's still smarter than all of us put together. Still wiser. And even at the strongest that we can ever become, he is way stronger than we are. We are nothing compared to him. Then Paul basically says, and I'll prove that to you. I like it when Paul does this because sometimes we make claims and we don't back it up. You know, we, we say something and we don't give any proof of what we're saying. He says, I'll prove it to you. God was so wise that he chose you guys to be the church, and you guys aren't the sharpest, the wisest, the noblest of birth. You are not the best. <laughs> and God chose you to be the church to show all those that think that they're the brightest, that think that they're most powerful, that think that they are noble of birth, that he can do it with you. He doesn't need all that they think they have in order to do his will. Paul sounds a little harsh here, doesn't he? It's like he can even use you guys to be the church. Think about yourself as a recipient of this letter. How do you feel about this? Being told that you're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, but God still can use you to show those who think they're really sharp or not so sharp at all. Sounds a little harsh. Second, he says, God is why you're here in the first place. It is God and Jesus Christ that made a plan for salvation, and you simply accepted what he's done for you. You simply accepted the grace. You simply accepted the forgiveness. You simply put your faith and your trust in him. You believed in this plan that didn't make sense to many. And in believing that plan, it became the wisdom and the power of God in your life for salvation. It was his wisdom that has become your power. And what still seems like foolishness to the world is still the perfect plan for salvation that can reach anyone out there who will simply believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. I thought about Paul's comments to the church, and I thought, that kind of makes sense in a way. I want you to think back at Georgia winning two championships back to back. And one of the criticisms of this team was that they were trying to win two championships back-to-back -back with a walk-on quarterback that even left the school at one point to go play in some godforsaken little school somewhere to try to get some more experience before coming back. And even the coaches didn't believe he could do it at first. Even the whole staff there thought, yeah, no, nah, I don't know about this guy. Even after they won the first championship, people said, yeah, he's not, he's not a great quarterback. He's a game manager. He didn't believe in him. Now he's won two championships, and there's still people that doubt he can go play in the NFL. But Paul was saying, look, 
God has used you to show that it was the coach and not the player. To show that it was the training and everything that was poured into you that has made this gospel go forth into the world. God used you so that those who think that they're so talented and so able and so smart will be brought to humbleness, recognizing that they need you. Paul knows how much the Corinthians like to boast, though. He was painfully aware that they were people that liked to boast. They had already been boasting about what? What leader baptized them? What spiritual gifts they had? How gifted they were and this or that? And so Paul says, and before you go boasting, let me tell you this. If you're going to boast, you better boast about the Lord and not about yourself. You better boast about Christ and not about yourself. You better boast about what God has done in Jesus to save the world and what he did on that cross. Boast about the goodness of God. Boast about the grace of God. Boast about the mercy of God. Boast about the love of God. But by golly, don't boast about yourself. Because let me remind you, you're not the sharpest. You're not the brightest. You're not the ones of most noble birth. Yet God is doing his work through you. When you are weak, he is strong. When it seems to the world that you're foolish, you have the wisdom of God for salvation in Jesus Christ. And there are people out there that are still searching for truth, searching to understand because they don't understand this plan of salvation. And they don't understand their purpose in life. And they only find the answers to those questions in their faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else makes sense sometimes in our world, does it? Things seem upside down more often than not. And God, in a way, in Jesus Christ, came and turned even the wisdom of the world upside down. Because I don't have to understand everything. I don't have to have all the answers. All I have to do is put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He has all the answers. He knows what we need. And he is sure to deliver it as we need it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for giving us Jesus. I thank you for the plan of salvation that even though it's... it's hard to understand why you chose the way you chose, that it is the plan that you have designed to save us and to give us an opportunity to respond to your grace. We ask, O oh Lord, that we will continue to proclaim this gospel as Paul did, as a gospel that is full of power and strength for salvation, that it is the gospel that brings life to those who are lost, life to those who are dead in sin, life to those who are seeking for meaning. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us to always proclaim this truth and to declare to the world that we might not understand everything,
but we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Help us, Lord, to just trust you every day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is always open if we want to come up for prayer as we worship.